Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to New Books and Buddhist Studies with Alex Carroll. In today's podcast, I speak with American professor Ira Helderman about his newly published book, Prescribing the Dharma, Psychotherapist, Buddhist Traditions, and Defining Religion, which surveys the diversity of Buddhist practices used in psychotherapy today. Ira shows that psychotherapist approaches to Buddhist traditions are molded by how they relate to what is and is not religion. This book will be of interest to scholars of psychotherapy, religion, and Buddhism, as well as anyone interested in the relationship between psychotherapy and Buddhism in the West today. Ira, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Very happy to have you on the show. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your background and how you first became interested in psychotherapy and Buddhism. So uh, my background is is something of a, of a story. Um, you know, the... I do tell the story at the start of the book of the the moment I became uh, truly interested in this topic from a religious studies perspective uh, and the moment that, you know, ultimately took me to uh, writing the the book. But but my curiosity probably began um, some years before that. So. I uh, my story may be uh, somewhat uh, unusual in that I was a practicing clinician for many years before I became interested in uh, religious studies and uh, Buddhist studies uh, uh, research. So I had been doing uh, individual therapy as a clinician in a university counseling center for I had been doing one on one counseling for you know almost half a decade and had been working in the mental health field for uh, some years before that. And if you had uh, told me that (laughs) when I was treating academics, if you had told me that I might actually become one myself, I I wouldn't have um, laughed out loud at that idea, but I I definitely would have been uh, surprised. So, (laughs) so uh, as a clinician, as a, as a therapist, I had been introduced uh, over time to various practices and, and teachings that had were introduced to me as uh, Buddhist. And uh, the first was a, a particular uh, therapeutic modality called acceptance and commitment therapy. The uh, the the developer of which ended up being an interviewer, an interviewee for um, for my book, Stephen Hayes. Uh, and that's one of the uh, uh, mindfulness-based modalities that are so popular right now. But you know, over time, I um, became um, curious without fully naming it to myself about what I was doing when I was introducing meditation in sessions with people, uh, or you know, when I would sit with somebody for whom cognitive been, cognitive behavioral therapy in a traditional way had not been useful. And, and I found myself thinking about 
the concept of the, the, the non-judging mind or, or non-attachment, I'm sorry, of the judging mind or non-attachment to thought. Uh, I, I think that even before I realized it, realized how curious I was about what I was doing at those times, that, that curiosity uh, was growing. And then I, what I don't actually share in the book, um, uh, well, actually, I, don't, I, I actually don't think I disclose in the book that I meditate with people in sessions. But, but more than that, I also was uh, starting to meditate you know, outside of uh, the office and was working individually one-on-one with a teacher, going on retreats. So all of that kind of uh, built up to, to to the moment, like I say, that that, that is, comes early in the book, where I've been going to continuing education conferences. All therapists uh, have to uh, maintain continuing education uh, uh, um, for to maintain their licenses with the state. And so I, the, the, the continuing education conferences I had been going to for uh, a few years. We're introducing uh, how to, uh, well, they build themselves differently, each one, but, but many of them introduce them, you know, build themselves as how to incorporate uh, or co- integrate Buddhist and psychotherapeutic uh, practices and, and, and ideas. And one conference I went to, the, the uh, main speaker was the Dalai Lama. And uh, the, the, the whole conference was uh, sort of patterned off of, to a certain extent, the mind-life dialogues. But this conference was, was um, sponsored by Harvard Medical School. And I've been going to there to, to – uh, to, uh, they had one of these conferences kind of annually. I've been going to there for a few years. But this year, it was set up as sort of a dialogue between prominent psychotherapists like Marsha Linehan – the founder of dialectical uh, behavior therapy and the Dalai Lama. And, and so I'm sitting there in this conference room with a few hundred other uh, mental health clinicians. And um, as um, we're listening to the Dalai Lama, uh, you know, a, a, a person that, um, that thousands and thousands of Tibetans uh, uh, consider to be a, a deity and um, the once theocratic leader of a, of a nation state. And that's when it really hit me, uh, the question, what what is this exactly as you have um, a, a room full of mental health clinicians, most of whom I think would define themselves as not religious, listening to a figure who uh, so many consider to be uh, if, if not a deity, uh, an, an emanation um, uh, uh, of, of a higher way of being um, and a, a religious figure. And that curiosity, that question ultimately took me back to change the, you know, t- 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 I totally changed the course of my life, went into religious studies research, uh, pursuing a, a whole other degree. Um, that was, is, is very, very relevant to my clinical work because it's a, it's a PhD in religion, psychology, and culture, but it is a, a religious studies, uh, PhD. Uh, and, um, and, and ultimately that, that led to the, to the book Mm. as well. And what motivated you to write your new book, Prescribing the Dharma? Uh, I think that, um, in general, I was motivated by, uh, three different things. The first was I, I wanted to give voice to the psychotherapists, the, the, the actual human beings that are participating in uh, activities that there's a lot of 
hot buzz and a fair amount of, of concern about uh, and, and even criticism uh, that I, I felt didn't always give voice to the, the, the people that are actually participating. Uh, so that, that was one uh, uh, major motivation mm-hmm. I had uh, in, in writing the book. Uh, the second was, in kind of keeping with that, I wanted to show the, the, the diversity of uh, ways that therapists uh, approach uh, Buddhist traditions. Something else that I felt like was missing in the conversation. And then a, a deeper kind of uh, uh, motivation I had was wanting to kind of change the way that we talk about what it means for a therapist, for example, to uh, to take up a, a, a Buddhist practice where so often we can speak about it as a process of secularization or religious transmission, I wanted to, to uh, invite the conversation to more radically uh, use those terms in a, in a reflective way. So those are kind of the, the general uh, uh, points of motivation. But I could explain more about uh, how that motivation came to me, if that would be helpful. Sure, go for it. So when, when, when I started uh, conducting my research, I had come into it having done a fair amount of, of reading on the topic, but because uh, there there is a you know veritable cottage industry of books with titles like Buddhism and psychotherapy, uh, but they are by and large written by psychotherapists for other psychotherapists. But what I had found my you know in in my uh, uh, other life of uh, at, you know as a therapist reading on this kind of material and reading from that perspective, I noticed that I was really most attracted to the one or two chapters in edited collections with again titles like psychoanalysis and Buddhism that were written by religious studies and Buddhist studies scholars. So there 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 were people working on this topic from a religious studies perspective, but they were uh, uh, pretty few. Uh, so w- when I started um, uh, d- doing research and, and, and reading what was out there, I noticed that a lot of the conversation seemed to be dominated by the question of whether Buddhist teachings and practices, Buddhist traditions were being secularized. Uh, and uh, again, the idea that there was a secularization process taking place when psychotherapists got their hands on, on these <laughs> veritable, veritably uh, uh, material uh, objects um, w- was usually couched in terms of anxiety or, or critique. Hmm. And then there seemed to be other voices that were kind of responding um, to, to the, those critiques. Um, and their perspective seemed to be, this is actually kind of, part of natural processes of religious transmission. This is just the new, this is just the way that Buddhist traditions are being introduced to a new population here in the United States of, of, of non-Buddhists, mm-hmm. a non-Buddhist uh, majority uh, culture. Uh, and, but, you know, like the, the earliest uh, writings that I found on an often kind of treated psychotherapists um, interest in Buddhist traditions as kind of just another Sort of face of uh, uh, of Buddhism um, as the title of uh, of one book that included 
a selection on on the topic uh, said. So when I was reading this material, the the first thing that occurred to me was that uh, it often flattened out uh, the diversity of ways that therapists approached Buddhist tradition. So people that were looking at uh, the, you know, ubiquitous and all popular, uh, powerful <laughs> mindfulness uh, pra- movement, as, as many of them called it, uh, and, and were, you know, listening to clinicians that were intentionally trying to take a, a, a practice or a concept they defined as religious and make it secular or science or some other uh, term of the not religious, like like scientific or medical. Uh, you know, it, uh, when a scholar would hyper focus on those kind of activities, they were often leaving out those therapists out there that are, were deep believing uh, Buddhists and uh, might uh, talk about the four noble truths with the people that came to see them. Uh, for therapy, uh, or other um, practitioners who were some of the most fervent critics of bringing Buddhist material into their practices at all. Uh, And if you listen to their um, sessions, you would never know that they also happen to be Buddhist teachers and leaders of of Buddhist communities themselves. So, uh, those who uh, were describing a, a secularization narrative uh, often would leave out those communities, those kinds of therapists. And at the same time, people that were t- telling a narrative of r- religious transmission um, often didn't sort of fully account for uh, therapists who were introducing um, Buddhist practices or teaching them to others, um, tr- only knowing them as uh, secularized uh, items. And, and all of that um, occurred to me just from my background as, uh, as a therapist, what I, what I came to think of as kind of my ethnographic uh, access. I just, you know, kind of knew those therapists out there and, th- and would be reading a piece and thinking, well, this doesn't really, uh, this seems to not know the existence of someone like uh, Barry Majid or, um, or other uh, people that ended up becoming interviewees uh, for me for, for my book. So that, that was the first thing, but but the second was I was a new uh, religious studies scholar and started to um, you know a, as my my story of how I became interested in the topic uh, points to from the beginning I was interested in these questions of um, the religious and 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 not religious because my kind of first starting point question was okay. Uh, you know these therapists that are these these med- mental health practitioners surrounding me. They they identify they define themselves as not religious, um, but they are um, working with uh, elements that they define as religious. How does that work exactly? But uh, you know, um, as a, a a new religious studies scholar, I began to learn about the history of these concepts of the of the of the, the term the word religion the word secular and how they're very relatively recent ideas and that some people feel like don't um, are, uh, are, aren't applicable to ancient times uh, in, you know, what we now call uh, Europe and are, are, remained uh, not uh, applicable to uh, 
the continent of, of, of Asia. Uh, and so that research really um, took me in, in a whole new direction where I said to myself, so what, you know, if, if, if these uh, words, religion and secular are, are, are uh, have constantly shifting definitions and are, are socially constructed, what does it mean for us to say we are combining religious uh, uh, Buddhist practice with scientific or secular, some, you know, some term of the not religious uh, psychotherapeutic practice. Um, if we take a step back and, and we're more reflective about our use of those terms, doesn't it completely and totally change our conversation? And w- where that ultimately took me was um, the realization that the people that I was reading, the psychotherapists, you know, from uh, from Carl Jung and William James to the contemporary figures that I uh, ultimately uh, interviewed for the book, they themselves had their own uh, sense of what was religious and what was not. They, they themselves were questioning what is the definition of uh, of religion uh, and, and, and debating amongst themselves about the proper definition for these terms. And their approaches to Buddhist traditions were fundamentally shaped by how they defined what is and is not religious and, uh, and, and how they define themselves within those terms. And I, I think I'll, uh, I'll, I'll stop there because I'll probably say more about uh, all of that shortly. Okay. <laughs> and one of the key insights of the book that you just referred to is that Buddhism-based practices are shaped by how psychotherapists view the boundary between religion and science or the secular and the non-secular. And this gives shapes to how these have been adopted into practice. Can, where are the various spots that psychotherapists put this border? So it... It uh, varies from therapist to therapist, from, from therapeutic community to therapeutic community, uh, and really from session to session. Sometimes with an individual therapy, you know, I, I think of of my book as um, it, it includes uh, a lot of, of, of history, um, and um, and I do uh, I, I did ethnographic um, observation and, and, and interviews for the book, but I think of it as much as a as anything as a as a, type, as a typology, as much as an ethnography and a history. And so the the structure of the book is kind of uh, maps out the different approaches that therapists have taken to Buddhist traditions as shaped by where they place the, the uh, borderlines between the religious and, and, and not religious. Uh, and so you have some therapists who believe that it's important for uh, psychotherapy to maintain its definition as uh, not religious, whether they're using the term medical, scientific, secular, or a, a more g- generic, just not religious. And of course, what they mean by those terms and, and not religious varies from therapist to therapist, community to, to community. Uh, and and so, so you, some people that feel very strongly about maintaining uh, psychotherapy is not religious, not, not non-religiosity. But then you have other therapists from the very beginning, from from when talk therapy as we know it was invented, um, by, you know, by Freud. Uh, you, you had his student Carl Jung questioning. Um, psychotherapy's definition in, 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 uh, within these categories of the religious and, and, and not religious. Uh, 
you know, again, where they, where different therapeutics uh, c- communities um, draw the borderline ends up kind of shaping how they approach uh, um, Buddhist teachings and practices. So, so cognitive behavioral therapists, for example, are really in, uh, many of them. Those communities are are uh, highly invested in, in, in maintaining their status as scientific uh, biomedical practitioners. It's really important to them that they're uh, they be seen as is only using quote unquote empirically validated treatment modalities. And so, uh, but many of them did believe that Buddhist uh, teachings and practices uh, would be helpful could 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 help their people coming to see them for therapy to uh to uh, uh resist cravings to cut on themselves for example to self-harm uh so uh they they felt like they, they were this uh put a dilemma uh, uh to them and their solution was to try to use what they saw as secular and not religious in these Buddhist teachings and practices and, um, and remove what was religious, uh, within them. But then you have other, um, um, practitioners who, uh, believe that it's only going to be really useful to folks. If you, um, if, if you contextualize those teachings and practices within, uh, you know, what they, the, the, the larger Buddhist frameworks that they know, and so it's important to them to to uh, say to the people coming to them for therapy. This comes from uh, Buddhism, as one of my interviewee, interviewees, Joe Luizzo, says that he he often will tell people this comes from uh, from Buddhism. There's there's a wealth of resources beyond this practice I'm introducing to you that you can um, that you can learn about. And so each of the chapters of my book uh, um, charts out a, maps out a different. Uh, uh, approach, uh, whether it be um, tra- what I call translating religion, that's what I was just referring to, where you know cognitive be- behavioral therapists believe that they are taking a religious item and making it into uh, not religious, or a, what I c- call adopting religion approaches, where a uh, a therapist will uh, uh, view their uh, their therapy as uh, fully Buddhist in nature, and we'll refer to it as Buddhist therapy or Zen psychoanalysis. Mm. And uh, as you referred to previously, um, there are many attitudes about the adoption of Buddhism-based practices within psychotherapy from many different parties and actors involved, um, from professional authorities to patients to Buddhists themselves. Uh, what are what what do the professional authorities and, and oversight organizations feel about the incorporation of religious elements into psychotherapeutic use? Yes, because you know uh, it's a really important question. Because um, you know uh, your last question was sort of asking where therapists draw the the borderline or boundary lines between the religious and not religious. But those uh, um, the, the the places that they draw the borderlines are shaped by multiple multiple other factors. Um, not just the uh, authorities within their own communities, um, uh, uh, authoritative figures and authoritative bodies within their own communities, whether that be a particular therapeutic uh, orientation like psychoanalysts and and the social norms that are created. Um, If you you say you're a psychoanalyst, um, 
around personal disclosure, for example, so you wouldn't bring in your religious identity into a therapy session. Um, so, uh, or, or you know, but, but not just those social norms created by those communities, but but multiple other factors. So, um, it, you know, the the most famous uh, and popular mindfulness practices. I I'm noticing myself bringing it up frequently, but uh, as much as that, even though it's it is only the the tip of the iceberg of of the diversity that exists, but it is uh, an easy cultural touchstone to to point to and. Um, <laughs> You know the the borderline between the religious and um, not religious for the developers of mindfulness based practices were, was drawn by hospital authorities uh, in many cases, and, and they were definitely concerned about uh, managed uh, healthcare and in, in insurance companies where a util- utilization review board would um, what what they would consider to be acceptable to be. With, within uh, uh, psychotherapy. Uh, but those aren't the only authorities that are contributing to this conversation because so many of the uh, therapists uh, that, that are interested in Buddhist tradition, so, so many of the therapists that I spoke to and whose, whose work I read, again, consider themselves um, um, deep believers in, in, in Buddhist practice. And so they're also looking to Buddhist authorities about what is acceptable and unacceptable, what is uh, ethical and uh, and unethical. And so you have uh, practitioners that um, will be reading uh, critiques from Buddhist studies, um, uh, um, uh, Buddhist studies uh, scholars and Buddhist practitioners who expressing concern about um, uh, cultural appropriation and um, the you know the, the capitalization of um, Buddhist practices. So so what I describe um, uh, and what I try to put together in the conclusion of the book is the way that you know an individual uh, therapist or uh, therapeutic community is kind of weaving in between these uh, different uh, authorities and authoritative authoritative bodies and will kind of shift within. Uh, shift where they place the line, um, de- depending on um, what uh, authorities they may be in contact with. So you'll have uh, a therapist who, before one audience, will a- emphasize that um, a particular Buddhist uh, concept is, you know, taken out of context, uh, just a, a cognitive restructuring technique or a different way of looking at something. But then in front of another audience, we'll, we'll, we'll contextualize that practice within a wider path. Um, um, the most important kind of determinant there that, um, that, I, that I have not brought up yet that I think is, is, is really, really important is, is, that one of the main terms beyond in terms of the religious and not religious that therapists have struggled with over time is the, the term health itself or well-being itself. So it, you, you, uh, from the beginning, you had therapists, again, from the beginning of, of the invention of talk therapy, you had therapists that looked at the ultimate aim of therapy as being to restore someone to health or to you know, quote unquote, wholeness. Mm-hmm. Um, you're a therapist that looked at at the at the practice as uh, trying to heal somebody 
um, from sickness to illness. But you had others who thought, like Jung, um, who thought the, the idea was to bring someone to a point of self-actualization and, and to reach a, a kind of higher state of being. And so uh, that's, to me, as much as anything, that's sort of what determines what a therapist is going to do is, um, is, you know, what's the aim here? Am I trying to help somebody to just... Um, uh, reduce their anxiety symptoms or am I trying to, to bring them to something uh, much uh, larger and the authorities and, and authoritative bodies that they come in contact are operating from their own perspective on those uh, issues, whether they're fully conscious of that mm-hmm. um, uh, or not. And so, and maybe just one last point uh, on this question in that regard is that, you know, I feel like that oftentimes these conversations can, um, uh, like I say, um, end up sort of totalizing what's happening into uh, narratives of secularization or capitalization. It can be easy to look at at everything that's happening with um, psychotherapists' interests in Buddhist traditions and say, and 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 portray these folks as all kind of cogs in the wheel of global capitalism, or um, just as empty vessels for the spread of the Dharma. But what I think is so important is to remember that we're talking about actual human beings, and that includes the uh, the you know the, the president of, of a hospital, the CEO of a, of a managed healthcare uh, company, who you know uh, may be maintaining a certain uh, borderline between the religious and not religious um, in during a, a board meeting. But then we'll leave the office and go to see a therapist <laughs> who introduces to them uh, uh, Buddhist practices. And so for, for those people, for those actual human beings as well, the lines shift from day to day, uh, moment to moment. And I think it's really important to, to, to maintain that sense of nuance and complexity. Hmm. And let's talk about the patient's perspective on this. Um, I know that some patients are open to therapies that originate in Buddhism, but I'm sure there are patients who wouldn't feel so comfortable with this or wouldn't feel comfortable having any religion-derived therapies at all in their mental health treatment plans. So uh, what are the the reactions that you typically hear from patients to Buddhism-based treatments? So, yes, I, I, I feel like um, many therapists are very concerned about sort of the reaction of how the people that come to see them for therapy will, you know, will react. And that uh, many of their approaches are shaped by those uh, concerns. So, um, you know, a, uh, in, in a person that's come, seeking out therapy, thinking that what they're seeking is a uh, medical uh, modality, a, a, a medical form of healing, uh, therapists will be concerned that if they were to introduce a practice that um, that they that they, they identify as uh, as Buddhist or religious um, could uh, create anxiety for that person or 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 lead them to 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 reject it altogether. So uh, the uh, but you know I think what can be often be forgotten is that there are many people that are seeking therapy. Um, the, to, uh, to, uh, in, in, in present day, and for you know, for for some years now, that does have a Buddhist uh, um, approach to it, and so, so there are two different ways that this can this can go. Then uh, you have therapists who will say that part of why they 
have attempted to take a Buddhist concept or practice and make it into and translate it into a not religious item is precisely so that it can be accessible to uh, therapists that could really be helped by it, but would otherwise uh, reject it or feel like it was dissonant with their own, uh, you know, religious background. But you also have therapists that um, are responding to uh, a, um, a, a need or at least a perceived need on the part of um, people out there that are seeking help, but that want, um, but believe that they're, they're going to be most helped by uh, uh, Buddhist philosophy and, uh, and, and, and a Buddhist path. Uh, one of the more interesting kind of um, phenomena that, that, that came up around this for me was um, discovering therapists who, uh, um, the, 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 the term I gave for the kinds of approaches they take is, is personalizing religion uh, approaches. And uh, I see figures like Eric Fromm and uh, another um, really important uh, uh, psychoanalytic, psychodynamic therapist named Karen Hornig, um, uh, initially coming up with, which is that uh, therapists can believe that they are deeply, deeply engaged with uh, Buddhist practice and have and, and have had uh, deeply transformative Buddhist experiences, but but they hold that all within their person, within uh, uh, the person of the therapist, uh, is a phrase that uh, many therapists use, uh, and and won't ever actually bring it up in sessions. And so when I began interviewing people, I um, the, my interviewees were all published therapists, and so. Uh, you know, I picked up a, uh, a book by a therapist who I saw as very much um, you know, uh, uh, following in this category of fully adopting uh, a Buddhist perspective in their therapist based on their writings. But when I reached out to them, I found that they never talked about it at all in sessions. Um, and you know, I, I think that at least part of that would be driven, part of the motivation for therapists taking that pers- that that approach would be concern about how the people coming to see them uh, m- might react to, to the introduction of uh, Buddhist practices. So this is um, this is often a, a a large source of discussion. Um, you know, w- what I come come to again the conclusion of my book is that I feel like it's, it's really important. Uh, most of the book is directed towards religious study scholars, but um, at the very end, I, I do address therapists as well to say uh, that I think it's, like, it's, it's important for, for therapists and scholars to kind of be aware of their own values and principles and, 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 what, are, and what shapes them in their approaches. Is it more important for a... Um, a, if, 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 if a therapist believes that a practice can really help somebody come out of suicidal thinking, um, knowing that, that suicide kills people uh, every day, um, is it more important for them to use that or, um, or to, uh, regardless of how it's introduced? Or will they actually be doing harm to that person in a certain sense um, it, it, by uh, incorporating a uh, religious practice into a um, a system uh, that um, it, where where uh, of cultural appropriation and and, and colonialist colonialist um, history that that ultimately does more harm to society than good. 
uh, hopefully that, that's, that's not uh, too convoluted and, 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 and make, made some sense there. <laughs> no, I think it's, it really points to the fact that um, some very sticky ethical issues can arise by incorporating these types of practices into uh, therapeutic um, modalities. Yeah, and, and I, I guess my, my message there is just that I feel like oftentimes these discussions um, become ethical without um, us naming that they are. Uh, ethical, so that oftentimes um, people, um, it, but just like the, the 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 normative positions vary widely. So when somebody says that something has been secularized in in one community from one position, that is a critique, and for another, it's a reassurance um, where secular equals bad or 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 good, to put it uh, uh, quite plainly. But that I feel like everybody is taking in these conversations is taking an ethical position, whether they know it or not, um, and that we should be uh, we should we should be clear eyed and and honest about what um, what position is being taken. If if um, if when we make a determination, like when a therapist makes a determination about whether to introduce a practice or not into a session, or a cultural critic um, accuses that person of, of doing harm. Uh, we should all members of that conversation should be curious. Should be should be clear about uh, what is my uh, value. Uh, uh, what, is, what is my normative position here, and 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 where does that come from? Um, so I want to step back for a moment and, and talk about actually the different types of practices that are in use. Um, I think nowadays uh, when people think of types of Buddhism-based practices and psychotherapy, they immediately think of meditation and mindfulness. Uh, and certainly, without a doubt, that's um, that's definitely very widespread. But are these the only Buddhism-based therapies being used today, or are there other modalities out there? Uh, there, there certainly are. And then there are, uh, there are approaches that therapists have taken that uh, lead to not using <laughs> Buddhist uh, traditions in, in psychotherapy. And I try to map all of that out in the book. And I really appreciate the question because it is just so easy to talk about mindfulness practices and, and meditation practices uh, as, as the whole story here. Uh, the, the phrase I use in the book is that they can, they, they can tend to uh, swallow up the conversation like a black hole. Um, but to, you know, but a, a way to, to communicate the diversity here is that, you know, uh, I've written this book. It's it's not a short book. It's not it's not ridiculously long. Don't be too scared if you're, if you're listening. But it's not it's not a short book. Uh, and you know there are uh, uh, six I think six or seven chapters in them, and only one of them is on mindfulness practices. So the rest of the book is on the the the, the considerable uh, and and perhaps surprisingly diverse ways that uh, therapists have approached Buddhist traditions. And so and and. Um, and that, like I say, includes um, therapists who uh, approach uh, Buddhist doctrine uh, or Buddhist thought and will what I call therapize that thought um, without ever using it in, in, in uh, therapy necessarily. So uh, some of the earliest psychotherapists to take up Buddhist teachings 
fall into this category where um, they would uh, read a uh, quote-unquote Buddhist text and asterisk there that I'll come back to and and um, analyze the uh, uh, the Buddhist practitioner described in that in that text to uncover the, sh- the true psychodynamic uh, causes that would lead someone to uh, seek a meditative oceanic experience uh, and reveal it to be, uh, for instance, a narcissistic yearning to return to a union with the, with uh, the mother. Uh, it was one of the early interpretations of uh, 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 Buddhist states. Uh, and so th- that practitioner, uh, that therapist w- was definitely not interested in incorporating uh, uh, or practicing a, a, a Buddhist uh, uh, therapy. And uh, as, as a side note, uh, those therapists, uh, there are therapists out there that continue to take that approach of kind of using psychotherapeutic uh, ideas about illness and health to interpret a, a uh, Buddhist teachings uh, and, and practices. But some of them are incorporating them into um, their, uh, their therapy today. Uh, so, so today you have therapists who, far from are only um, uh, practicing mindfulness m- m- modalities, but you have therapists who uh, believe that they are uh, practicing a, like uh, I said earlier, a, a Zen psychoanalysis, where they uh, see their uh, therapy as fully shaped by Zen teachings and Zen practices, but their understanding of what a path towards true health, uh, if they even use that word, to, to enlightenment would be. And so you, you'll even have practitioners um, in, introducing uh, deity visualization practices um, with those who come to, to, uh, to see them. So it, it could be uh, uh, um, a, a fair uh, amount of diversity there, as is the world of psychotherapy itself, where um, you you do have behavioral therapists, you have psychoanalytic therapists and, and their schools, you have feminist relational cultural therapists, and, and that diversity is... is um, it shapes, uh, again, the way that they're, each of those communities will... Um, uh, approach what it, um, Buddhist teachings and how they define what is and is not authentically Buddhist, and that's the the last note I want to I want to make on this question that uh, I, I I feel regretful I haven't been reemphasizing with with every question, which is just as um, definitions of what is religious and not are wholly important in this discussion, so is definitions of what is Buddhist or not, because even the so uh, Joe Luizzo, as a, as a name I mentioned earlier, he has a, um, a uh, consortium of therapists called the Nalanda uh, Institute. Um, and uh, his story is, is, is kind of interesting because he had been a practicing uh, psychiatrist for, for some years and then uh, returned to work with Robert Thurman at, at Columbia University. He got a PhD in, uh, in Buddhist studies, translating Buddhist texts. Um, and, uh, w- 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 be- with the desire to be, uh, um, uh, pre- presenting a Buddhist therapy that he saw, um, as, as truly serious and to use his word rigorous. And so, so, uh, Joe Luizzo d- does introduce and does talk about, uh, 
deity visualization techniques. And he, and he does talk about certain aspects of Buddhist uh, philosophy that are, are not talked about much in the, in the communities that therapists are involved in, like karma. But, but even he still is looking at uh, deity visualization as a, a role-playing technique and still, for the most part, looks at the con- is, is not treating uh, deities the way most Buddhists on the planet uh, do still uh, today. Well, that may be stating it too strongly, but for, certainly throughout uh, most history. Um, and so I, th- I think it's really important that to, to, to underline that um, the, the Buddhist communities uh, in which therapists were introduced to, uh, to, uh, to what, what there was called Buddhist are by and large um, uh, con- what, what are often called convert Buddhist communities populated by people of European descent. And so um, concerns about what is authentically Buddhist or not, uh, to a large degree, are uh, about issues of, of philosophy that, that don't take into consideration some of the, some of the uh, most central aspects of, of, of Buddhist teachings and practices that one finds, say, in, in Thailand. We're definitely not concerned for, with merit-making practices um, or... Uh, 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 paradise um, or, or paradise lands. Um, when 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 they talk about trying to achieve uh, or or live into uh, becoming a, a bodhisattva, they're certain they're, they're talking about a certain way of being and and an ethical approach to, or, or philosophical approach. But they're they're and they're not talking about achieving bodhisattva super mundane powers like teleportation. Um, in the way that, for most of history, this is uh, in, um, Buddhist communities uh, were were concerned about, or um, or or at least uh, um, placing into their cosmographies. Uh, there's a lot more to be said about that point, but I'll, I'll pause there. <laughs> and what what is the history of Buddhist practices being used in psychotherapy uh, from many people's perspective who are just now starting to hear the words mindfulness meditation and advertisements and uh, being spoken about by their therapists and so forth it might seem like a new phenomenon but is this a new phenomenon is there an older longer history between Buddhist practices and psychotherapy yeah I, I appreciate that question as well because it because it is something that I, that is uh, one of the ma- main messages I do try to communicate is that you know um, I, I feel like that the um, psychotherapist interest in Buddhist traditions can often be kind of described as a new popular fad and it's been described as a new popular fad for for some decades now uh, <laughs> um, and I think that part of that is is a, is a way of kind of dismissing it as as superficial and frivolous but it does have a history that goes back you know uh, over a century or at least uh, psychotherapist interest in Buddhist traditions goes back um, over a century to you know, uh, very soon after the invention of, uh, again, talk therapy a- a- as we know it. And I do try to, um, although the book is laid out as, as, a, as a, a mapping kind of typology of these different approaches, I do try to um, um, piece together that history, um, in- including aspects of that history that is often not told. So, um, it, so, the the story of how um, the uh, early psychologists, uh, the, 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 uh, again at the at the birth of that um, academic discipline, 
of the new psychology and and the role that psychologists of uh, the role that Buddhist traditions played in um, psychologists of of religions thought uh, the first psychologists of religion is, is is often not told. There people will often kind of tell this perhaps apocryphal story of how William James uh, offered his uh, seat at the or his place at the lectern to Dharmasala as as sort of a representation of of how. Um, psychologists and psychotherapists have, for for a long time now, um, looked to raised uh, Buddhist thought up as as uh, as important and 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 um, worth placing alongside uh, European uh, psychological thought or, or or new psychological thought. But uh, the word Buddhism surfaces uh, in in really interesting way, uh, ways throughout uh, the early psychologists of religion um, thinking about their uh, about what religion was and what religion was uh, uh, becoming. So, so yes, there 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 there, there is a, a real history here, um, and I feel like uh, knowing that history. Um, it is important. Another episode that that I think of often when, uh, around conversations around um, uh, mindfulness uh, practices is uh, uh, even more re- in recent history, the '40s and '50s, and a, and a figure like Eric Fromm, who uh, you know uh, back in the '50s was anticipating some of the same uh, a- a- and presenting some of the same critiques that um, we hear today about. Um, about capitalization uh, and um, and the way in which religious practices can be perverted um, in, to uh, to do harm um, uh, in, uh, in in a, in a larger societal way. I'm going to hold back from getting too deep in, <laughs> into that, but hopefully <laughs> that's enough enough to get somebody interested to read more. And, and so my second question is actually just the reverse is, can we see that psychotherapists have had an influence on Western Buddhism or the adoption of Western or of Buddhism in the West? Absolutely. Um, and that's something else that I think that um, surfaces throughout uh, the, the book, even though that is uh, less my point of emphasis. And so I'll, I'll, I'll plug a, a, another scholar and, and friend's book, Anne Gleig, uh, has a, uh, a book uh, out um, uh, right, uh, right around now as, as well, um, and who really attends t- uh, to the way in which psychotherapy has been um, approached by Buddhist communities, sort of the, the, uh, the reverse there. But uh, you, you can find that history um, chapter by chapter surface in, in, in my book to a certain extent as well. You know, what, what I often think about is that, and this goes back to what I was saying earlier about how that we should be really clear about what Buddhist traditions we're talking about that are being incorporated into, um, into psychotherapy uh, when, when, when we say that they are. Uh, because again, uh, it is, it's rare that a, um, a you know, merit-making practice or propitiation of a, a divinity is, is being incorporated. Um, uh, the, the Buddhist communities that... Um, that therapists are drawing from are communities that they themselves are shaping. So you have um, a figure like Jack Cornfield, who is, you know, uh, one of the leading kind of Buddhist figures in the U S has, you know, uh, um, 
founded uh, Buddhist communities that have in turn um, influenced other uh, Buddhist communities. And, you know, his dual identity as a psychologist, as, as well as a Buddhist te- teacher, um, is, 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 is hugely uh, I- important. Uh, you you have therapists who are uh, you have Buddhist communities that now use as their uh, core texts and in, in teachings books that are written by uh, n- no less a uh, you know translator of religion as John Kabat-Zinn um, it, to, to, in, in um, will be cited in uh, Dharma talks at a local um, uh, zendo. Uh, and so there's there's definitely a, a, a feedback loop that 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 that's taking place between um, what's happening in the world of psychotherapy uh, and in in you know within uh, Buddhist groups and, and and again this goes back uh, very far to uh, you know a, um, a figure like uh, Carl Jung. For, for whom, you know, who uh, D.T. Suzuki reached out to, to to write the introduction of his book so that every uh, practitioner um, in the uh, U.S. who picked up um, uh, D.T. Suzuki's introduction to, to Zen was being introduced by it literally um, in, in, the, in an introduction uh, in the foreword by uh, Carl Jung. So it seems like there's been a very long history in the West between psychotherapy and, and Buddhism that they've had, like you said, a, a feedback loop uh, that has kind of given shape to both sides of the equation and, and what we have today. Um, what is the future of Buddhism-based treatments and psychotherapy? Is it here to stay or what developments do you think we'll see in the future? So that's a, that's a great question. Um, I, you know, I, I think that uh, to, to a large degree, my sense is that the ethical questions is where is, is uh, dominating a lot of the sort of the conversations and, and has for some years now um, amongst therapists that are interested in Buddhist traditions. Uh, and this is something that when I first started writing and, and presenting some of my research, um, I, I had just not heard before, but now um, it, um, is, uh, is, is definitely part, I've heard other scholars uh, point out as well. Uh, and, and that is that some of the same um, concerns about uh, cultural appropriation or neoliberalism that I was reading cultural critics and religious studies scholars and, and Buddhist um, study scholars express uh, are, are being discussed among, amongst psychotherapists themselves. Uh, and um, and uh, therapists themselves are sort of talking about what's the, 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 the ethical way of, um, of uh, approaching Buddhist traditions that, that doesn't fall into uh, some of those uh, traps. And, and part of that's because they, they're reading those Buddhist studies and religious studies sc- scholars uh, and are, are influenced by uh, those critiques and are, are wanting to maintain wanting to be seen as uh, practicing an authentic Buddhist um, uh, uh, practice uh, and, uh, and are wanting to avoid um, uh, unethical approaches. I, I think about um, one uh, of the continuing education conferences that I ended up observing from my ethnographic uh, observation where uh, the, the, the general tenor of the conversation was, um, these kind of concerns and the misuse of, 
Buddhist practices for um, in corporate settings, um, which people were concerned about about the, uh, that it could just uh, lead to um, what you know Eric Fromm called sort of adjustment to you know uh, an oppressive. Um, capitalistic system essentially and and how can we um is that a problem and how can we how can we address that as a problem the therapists were were kind of asking and uh and you know one solution was that you know what had been decontextualized from buddhist traditions should be recontextualized back on you know kind of the eightfold path uh, uh, for example and so that's one thing I, I i think about the other thing i think about is i'm curious to see what um you know, because again, I, we can't uh, underline enough that um, how much is shaped by um, both, I would say, not just therapists, but also scholars' understanding of what is health or well-being or uh, societal good. Um, and you know, um, when um, when uh, early therapists were approaching Buddhist traditions, their sense of what um, the ultimate aim of a uh, authentic psychotherapy or authentic Buddhist path was was very different from what it was um, from from you know even between decade to decade. So um, where uh, Eric Fromm um, was dialoguing with D.T. Suzuki around the um, b- becoming um, more autonomous beings freed from totalitarian structures, a kind of individualist, um, one might say, kind of perspective, you know, a a few decades later, (coughs) you have therapists who are um, more interested in in interconnection and that the, you know, the ultimate um, in a Buddhist and psychotherapeutic path would be people becoming more interconnected and interrelated. Um, I always find that really interesting because, as a, a scholar as, as David, like David McMahon has you know talked about and has a, as a chapter in his book um, "Making of uh, Buddhist Modernism," talks about interconnection for most of Buddhist history was a trap, was a, was something to be escaped rather than something to be deeply to, more, to, more, to be more uh, embedded into. Um, nonetheless, I'm wondering like uh, what will be the next. Uh, ultimate aim that um that therapists and and buddhist communities alike in their dialogues with each other uh are are see themselves heading to what will be the next uh kind of definition of of uh enlightenment health well-being and 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 terms of the like um that therapists will feel is their uh responsibility to bring uh hurting or even suffering uh people towards Mm. I guess we'll see uh, in the future soon enough. <laughs> well, I'd like to congratulate you again on your recently published book, Prescribing the Dharma, Psychotherapist, Buddhist Traditions, and Defining Religion. I imagine that you'll be enjoying a well-deserved rest now that the book is on the shelves. <laughs> Thank you so much. This has been uh, really enjoyable. I really appreciate the opportunity. Happy to have you on. And what's for you next? Do you have any plans for future research projects? So uh, I, I, I do. Um, the what I'm working on now uh, kind of comes from the last part of the the, the title of the book that you just read. Uh, um, in the the first chapter, full chapter of prescribing the Dharma, uh, it's sort of a glossary of sorts where I try to give um, drawing from my my interviews um, and and uh, in my, in my literature uh, review, uh, try to give uh, um, 
an introduction to therapists' uh, definitions for terms of the religious and not religious, and then try to give some of the genealogical background for you know why it is that uh, therapists would believe that religion is defined by internal belief and how that how that dates back, to, for example, and, um, or deities and, and, and how that dates back to the invention of the, the modern concept of religion, uh, for example. So all that to say that one of the terms in that chapter is, is spirituality, uh, a, uh, a, a, a central term that, that comes out comes up th- throughout the book. And, and my next project is looking at that term in particular and the history of that of that word and the way that psychotherapists and, and psychotherapeutic uh, uh, stuff uh, has influenced um, uh, contemporary dominant understandings of what that word means. You know, most uh, psychotherapists, many of whom I, I talk about in this book, um, when they use the word spiritual, it was in a very different sense than um, the way uh, many psychotherapists use it to, uh, today. Um, often, you know, as a, as a synonym for, for religion, um, spiritual or religious, where many today are, are using it spiritual, not religious. And believe it or not, it, not just in terms of my interest in, in these concepts and categories, um, it, it's, you know, it's, it's connected to prescribing the Dharma and that research project in, in that sense, but uh, it's, it's connected in, in another uh, sense as well, um, which is that um, a major part of, of, that, of, of that research is going to be looking at the, dial- uh, the um, Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, the DSM, which mm-hmm. is um, the, um, the book that therapists use to diagnose people. And I'm going to be looking at the way the term spiritual shows up in, in, and religion shows up in, in, in that book which very interestingly is often used as a sort of like representation of the medicalization of experience. But if you just Google the DSM and look at any popular article on, on the book, it will always be called the, the, the Bible of psychotherapists or, psychi- or psychiatrist Bible uh, at the same time. In, in, in any case, uh, uh, there is a diagnostic code in there that um, is spiritual problem. And uh, it, the existence of that diagnostic uh, code or, 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 or area of clinical interest um, goes directly to, uh, dates directly back to meditation retreats, actually. Um, and um, I, I'm, I'm excited to tell, to tell that story of, of um, uh, of how one led to the other. Well, I'm definitely uh, looking to of course, we'll have you on the show when, uh, when that's available. Um, but for the moment, I want to thank you again for, uh, for coming on the show to speak about your new book, Prescribing the Dharma. Uh, have a good day. Thanks so much. You've been listening to New Books and Buddhist Studies with Alex Carroll. If you're interested in learning about other New Books and Buddhist Studies, head over to newbooksnetwork.com or search for New Books Network wherever you get your podcasts. Audio used with permission from Musique Delicieuse and is taken from the song Small Flower by Para Furcuva. 